Hi, everybody. This is Scott Weinberg. I am the co-host of 80s All Over. I am joined by my illustrious co-host, Mr. Drew McWeeny, who is back from an, a back injury. How are you feeling, Drew? Uh, terrific. Good. Uh, we had Bobby to sit in for you last week uh, as part of the uh, score slash soundtrack episode, and I hope you were happy with how it turned out, and we, uh, I know that we're going to re- revisit that topic in the future so that you can get your five cents in on that, on that topic. Uh, I look forward to it. It was a great episode, though. Thank you. Thank you, Bobby, very much. And uh, for this episode, we thought it might be fun to uh, solicit some request, uh, some responses from our listeners. And my first, res- my first question to the listeners was, who's cooler, Drew or Scott? And it was like 96% Scott. And I thought, you know what? Not cool. Not cool. So I thought, let's go out with a different question. And that question was, what movies have Drew and I turned turned you guys on to that you may have never seen uh, other uh, except for the fact that we uh, shoved you into it. And Drew, would you consider that our maybe our, our true metric of success? Absolutely. If, if we change the way people think about what the canon of the 80s is, like what the, the films that are worth discussing are, even if we just add 10 or 15 titles to that general conversation, I think it's a success because that that is what drove us here in the first place. The idea that you know, it's such a limited conversation and there are so many unbelievable films that kind of get pushed to the side or forgotten. Yeah, I uh, I want to thank everybody. And I know on behalf of Drew and Bobby, I want to thank everybody who's listening to this, because if you're listening to this, that means you are a subscriber of some level. I don't even care what level we thank you. You support us uh, financially, morally, uh, uh inspirationally that sometimes when I'm really in a a crappy mood, I'll get up from a nap or something and I'll see two tweets from total strangers thanking us for the show. And it just makes my night feel a little bit better. And I I am truly grateful for everybody who uh, listens and sends us messages. So uh, having said that, Drew, you want to add anything to that? Um, No, I think that covers it. Yep, Drew loves you all, and uh, uh, we we always figured, you know, if you're listening to a, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of movie podcasts where the goal is to make you laugh, okay, and they all do that, and that's their level of success, and I've also listened to some scary podcasts and some, you know, informational political podcasts, and you can always judge their... uh, their value by you know what they give you information or laughs or something to think about and if we can if each episode can send our listeners off with one or two or even five movies to maybe look into then that's our measure of success and i am very proud let's go right to it uh we asked our listeners to name a film they love thanks to the show uh drew i'm going to start out with this one very near and dear to my heart uh it's uh m cohen 76 macabre cohen thank you blowout I am 41 and from the Philly area and never saw the movie. Great Lithgow and Travolta performances. Holds up. I'm delighted. I, Blowout is a movie that I, I love the first time I saw it and was always baffled it wasn't considered a bigger film. And, you know, even though it was a it was a hit, it wasn't a monster hit, but it was a hit. And it had Travolta, who was undeniably a movie star at that time. But it still seemed like it, it was kind of always relegated to second class status and and I think part of that is De Palma in general has always had a hard time with respect. Um, you know, the, the tremendous documentary from two years ago, 
was a nice step forward for him because I think it helped to, to set him in a context that a lot of times gets neglected. And he's as important a part of the 70s and 80s movement of filmmakers as any of the other guys, but he chose to work in what is considered a lesser genre, which is thrillers or even horror. And I think that's one of the reasons he's always been discounted to some degree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, as a Philly guy, I am very happy to hear that uh, some of the locals who have maybe never seen the film, uh, I can only imagine that uh, anybody who knows Philly even halfway w- well would watch this movie and just, you know, have a ball picking through all the locations and the uh, and the accents and the, uh, just the, the, the Philly vibe. Love Blowout. All right, so uh, our next one is from Jeff Movie Man. And these are all our Twitter pals, by the way. So if you want to find some cool movie geeks, uh, on on the Twitter, uh, throw these names in there and and uh, give them a follow. Jeff Movie Man says, "Used cars." Hearing your love for it convinced me to give it a look, and boy, were you guys right in every way. Super hilarious and smart. Also, Popeye, love it more and more every time I see it. And Blowout. <laughs> thank you for finally getting me to watch that masterpiece. So, thank you, Jeff Movie Man. Uh, Drew, we already covered Blowout, and we will get to. Uh, Let's hold used cars because it's not the he's not the only one. Uh, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on people reevaluating Popeye in some small regard? Thanks to uh, me and you and Bob. Couldn't be more delighted. That is absolutely one of the movies that made me want to do this podcast. And the idea that um, it would be embraced uh, by people who are, who I think for years have had it in their head that it was a terrible movie or if we did anything to rehab that and it's great watching people buy the score and talk about how it's very different now that they've seen it as an adult. And I, I, it's again, it's a movie that has always bothered me that, that it was not treated better. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think hopefully people are grasping that it's a, maybe it's a strange movie. It's an offbeat movie. It is a weird movie. And that doesn't just because we are championing it and other some of our listeners love it. That doesn't mean that you're you didn't get it and you're wrong. But we're just hopefully trying to turn people onto the idea that that reputation that certain films have might not be all that well earned. Doesn't know you could if you don't like Popeye, fine. But we're hoping that at least you'll look at it and go, you know what? That is true. It's not the debacle, disaster, horrible train wreck that it's gotten the reputation for. And and even if you don't love it, like Drew said, we're hoping that we can at least uh, give people a little different perspective on a on an on a, on a what's the word you call it vilified or or un- disrespected film. And that's the thing. I don't I don't need everybody to love Popeye. I get why people don't like it, but I think it's one of those movies. If you can just listen to somebody express why they love it, I think you'll have a better sense of why that reaction exists it's and and that's the thing is all of this i get it there's gonna be people that don't like used cars there's gonna be people who don't like popeye but the idea that it's dismissed without having seen it is what has always bothered me and i think popeye is a huge huge image problem i think people do just automatically assume oh wasn't that a disaster isn't that terrible yeah yeah and and you know like you, we've said in many episodes, we're kind of trying to demystify the 80s and that, you know what, the 80s were a hell of a lot more than just Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Strikes Back. You know, there was a lot more than just the iconic 80s movies. And on the other hand, maybe where we would, you know, change a couple of minds about, you know, what do we get to Ishtar, dude? All right, how about that? Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> I mean, Ishtar is a bad movie, but... 
I could name. I, we are going to fist fight so hard when we get there. Man, Drew, I could name 10 movies that came out in 87 that were worse than Ishtar. And so can you. Well, yes, but it's not a bad movie. I'm not going to take that. Ishtar is not a bad movie. All right, we're going to save that for the future. Thank you, Jeff Movie Man. We now move on to Andrew Carden, a.k.a. Awards Connect. And he says, now this Andrew's a guy who's very uh, erudite and very learned in classic Hollywood. I mean, if you were to talk to him about uh, Billy Wilder, Audrey Hepburn, Alfred Hitchcock, Andrew Carden will come up and he, he knows his classic, uh, classic Hollywood. And you know what, what his thank you is, Drew? He says... No film headlined by George Kennedy and Richard Crenna could be anything less than fantastic. <laughs> well. Yeah, uh, death ship. Uh, death ship, baby. <laughs> well, I'm, that's a case of he may not have even known it existed. I don't believe we were like stringently recommending that one, but. Um, I, I do. I do. I do. It's crap, but I, I love it. Uh, death ship. I'm glad. Yeah, no, I. It's it's a bad movie, but it's also a very entertaining bad movie, and it's a colorfully bad movie given the premise, the cast, the setting, the the rust everywhere. Uh, oh, it's, it's got just, atmosphere uh, to spare. There's no doubt. Yeah, I just um, and and I just love the idea that something this oddly or darkly entertaining is not just oh I've heard of that and maybe I'll give it a shot, but most most of the time with stuff like Death Ship, it's I've literally never heard of that. So you've you've you guys have literally introduced a film into my life that an hour ago I didn't know existed. And I don't care if it's Death Ship or E.T. That makes me happy to like show, you know, show somebody a film they didn't know existed. We're having a lot of that. There's a lot of these movies that even having lived through this and having been a rabid movie fan at the time, there's stuff that's brand new to me. And I think that's also part of this this process is the idea that, you know, we're going back and filling in gaps for ourselves or reminding ourselves of films or rewatching something and realizing we're having a different reaction. But there's a lot of discovery here. This is certainly not, uh, we're done, we've seen it all, and now we're just going to recite our opinions. It's a very active process, and it's weird. It's created this strange echo for me because I have two movie lives going on right now. I have the movie life with current movies that I'm reviewing and writing about and watching and things like that. And then this other half of my head, it is always 1980-something right now. And that is that is a really weird echo, but it also highlights just how strange and diverse 80s cinema was because there there was less of the sort of homogenization or the clear boundaries of genre or a lot of what we see now. And I think it's because there was a sense in the 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s that pop culture was for everyone at the same time. And now more and more we're pushing towards niche culture, which... It's fine if you, if you want to have your niche and you want to be, you know, you, you have just the films that you watch or just the thing that entertains you, you can now. There's enough media out there. But there used to be a sense that we shared all of this stuff. Niche culture is my favorite Depeche Mode album. <laughs> uh, our, next, uh, our next contributor, Derek, uh, D-Man 11. Oh, yeah. Hey, D-Man. We love Derek. Death Trap. In the movies I wanted to see as a kid, parents didn't want to take me to. So good, but probably wouldn't have got to it. A 10. Oh, at 10. He wouldn't have got to it at 10. Thank you, Derek. Yeah, Death Trap. I, I really hope that people are, are enjoying that one. I, I, you know, I'm certainly not. I don't ever want us to take credit for like, you know, uh, we're just shedding a spotlight, shining a spotlight on, on good films 
from 30 years ago. So I don't want to make it sound like, you know, we made these movies or we are, we work for Warner Brothers or anything like that. But it makes me really proud that, you know, I rarely saw Death Trap ever talked about. And now we've gotten, that's probably in the last couple of weeks, that's probably been our number one thank you movie. Uh, people really l like that. And, uh, and I, I, you know, and, and here, th this will be a fun issue to talk about. Drew and I debated vociferously on how how far we should go with spoilers. And, you know, he, he made a good point of these movies are 30 years old and we need to be able to discuss them. And he heard my point of, in very few cases, we should just be careful with spoilers. In most cases, I wouldn't care. And in the case of Death Trap, I think we found the happy ground. And if, if you were... Um, if you were taken aback by the big by the big shock in that movie, then we are we are very happy. <laughs> I love the twist in that movie. Um, what's What's interesting about the twist, and I still think we can be careful and and have some of this conversation, is set in the context of 1982. It it's remarkable how well it fits. 1982 was a real banner year for Hollywood starting to grapple with the way it portrayed same sex relationships, and that is. And we're, we're covering a lot of it. And you've still got stuff like Partners, which it blows my mind that James Burroughs is one of the main directors of Will and Grace, which is such a uh, such a gay-friendly show and where the humor all comes from uh, actual gay writers writing their experience and their life experience. To think that he, that's the same director as Partners, that's one of those things that this podcast does to you is you get those the, the weird ways people have evolved and clearly... The boroughs of today would not make partners and release it. Right, but it also speaks to the issue of, you know, uh, this is a clearly an intelligent filmmaker who has this topic on his mind. And even in the early 80s, when, you know, trying to make a, a, a farcical comedy about gay issues, it was very an uncomfortable time. You know, Hollywood was not comfortable making such jokes. Nowadays, it's totally comfortable making that because there are a lot more gay people in Hollywood than there were in the 80s. And people are more comfortable making these these like affectionate jokes, and as opposed to making them mean spirited, ugly jokes. Um, but you know, nineteen eighty two was the year of Tootsie and Victor Victoria and making love and personal best, and it's it's fascinating to me to to see that moment where Hollywood realized it's it's kind of like the divorce films we've been watching, where suddenly divorce was on everybody's mind because society had changed to some degree, and you do you see these seismic moments happen, and I I would say that. To start a year with partners and or with Victor Victoria and to end a year with Tootsie, you're getting a real broad range of um, how people are talking about things. And it's just it's great to see that this that Hollywood was already starting to really wrestle with and try to do better by these people. Let me run through a few of these. Our, our old friend, almost film critic. You guys made me give De Palma another try. I'm happy I did. Blowout was awesome. Thank you, uh, almost. He's a good friend of ours. Uh, Paul Osborne, a filmmaker in his own right, Paul Makes Movies, said, Dead and Buried also just ordered a DVD of The Sword and the Sorcerer. Dead and Buried, Drew, has been one of our big feedback oh, yeah. movies. Yeah, and well, that makes and me very... Yeah. That's, that's an obscure one. That is, even within the horror community, that movie was never, like thought of as, number one, oh my God, and it, it never got that moment. But I think horror fans, if you if you talk to somebody and they've seen it, they'll have a soft spot for it. Oh, yeah. I bet you, I mean, if you were at a horror con five years ago and you're just running through, all right, what are the best 80s horror movies? And, you know, you'd get like, the, you know, the Reanimator, Hellraiser, you get the, all the obvious indie choices. And then some guy in the, or girl in the corner goes, oh, dead and buried. 
And every horror geek goes, yes, good call. Yes, good call. <laughs> well, I know like Guillermo, for example, uh, Del Toro is a huge uh, Gary Sherman fan in general. And I think there's a lot of horror filmmakers who really like Sherman's work. Um, and I, I got to believe that Poltergeist 3, when that experience happened to him, that that may have been where he just hit the wall in Hollywood and realized it wasn't his his bag. But for a little while, I think Sherman was a guy who was on his way up and really one film to the next was doing strong, interesting, smart work. Yeah, well, you like Vice Squad more than I do. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, our friend film nerd Jamie said Prince and the City. And I finally got around to watching Reds. Never been a Beatty guy, but always fascinated by his career and stardom. So Prince of the City, I'll take. Thank you. Reds, that's Drew's baby. Go ahead. Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> Look, and I, I every now and then, I'll have a moment where I just got to kind of go back through Warren Beatty's filmography, and Reds started me on that again. Um, I really like his work. I think he's one of those guys who there's so much that you can say and write about what oh, he's I, done I'm with film. Jamie. I'm 100% with Jamie. I'm hot and cold. There are some Warren Beatty movies where he is almost aggressively boring. And then there are, you know, when he is a bit more lively and a bit more jocular and a bit more uh, uh, daring do or action heavy, I think Warren Beatty is as entertaining as any movie star there is. Uh, I like so, him as a filmmaker as well. I think he's just a real interesting bag. Yeah. I'm really, uh, I, I know it does, it's not going to qualify for the show, I believe, but I'm really tempted to go revisit Dick Tracy sometime soon because I've not seen Dick Tracy since the weekend it came out. <laughs> really? Yep. Wow. God's truth. And Prince was, of the City. I was a little uh, obsessed. Yeah, Prince of the City is, I think, one of Sidney Lumet's most underrated films. He is, you know, I think Sidney Lumet is one of the, and I know lots of movie fans know, agree with me, that Sidney Lumet is one of the top ten directors of all time. And while he got a lot of accolades, awards, great reviews for a lot of his films, um, he, you know, some of them kind of fell by the wayside. And Prince of the City is uh, might be, quote-unquote, second-level uh, 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 Sidney Lumet, but damn, it's good. So, uh, thank you, Jamie. And man, I love the the imagine the sort of what if game of if De Palma had stayed on uh, Prince in the City and not made Blowout. And there's that one sequence in Blowout with the uh, that kind of explains Travolta's backstory about the wire, and that came out of the process of De Palma working on Prince in the City because he was thinking about surveillance and wires and how people wore stuff. And if you watch Prince in the City, there is such attention paid to the fact that they didn't have the tech right. So wearing a wire was this really risky proposition anyway, and just figuring out how to put one on somebody um, was tricky. So I love that. I love the weird overlap. And dude, if if Prince in the City gets rediscovered at all, you know what's interesting is how many of these films are available. You keep saying in. You keep saying Prince in the City. It's Prince of the City. Prince of the City. Sorry. <laughs> Prince of the City. The the thing this is like another uh, Des Moines thing. I'm going to correct you. No, uh, whatever. I've got a brain fart. It's uh, it's my. It, I'm ninety percent tumor, five percent brain at this point. Um, but the the thing that I'm I'm amazed by is how many of these are Warner archive releases, which is the the stuff that Warner considers. Uh, there's probably not enough money to actually market this and make our money back, so we'll just put it on the archive thing where if somebody orders one, we'll make one. And that kind of video-on-demand uh, hard copy service, I, I really think is invaluable because I want to own Prince in the City. I want to own Death Trap. I want to own Joe vs. Volcano. And these are not movies that financially make enough sense for Warner Brothers to do the whole full-court press on. 
Right, and if uh, if Warner Archive, uh, you know, if they put out like a 1940s noir, like gun crazy, and they only end up selling six copies a year, oh well, that's they have no overhead. But if if something like Death Trap comes along and they're like, whoa, all of a sudden we've sold 300 copies, great, we are elated, we're happy to help the filmmakers, where whoever holds the rights to Death Trap, we're happy to help because you guys made a great movie and we are happy to promote that movie 35 years later. Moving on. Our friend CareBear underscore 11, Gary Davenport says, never heard of Atlantic City before hearing about it on the podcast. Fantastic late era Burt Lancaster performance. Now, I assume he means he'd never heard of Atlantic City, the film, not the, not the, not the town. Yeah. Okay. But wow, uh, man, Drew, that's a big yep, one. Yep. And, um, but again, like, look, we're talking about a movie that's 37 years old. I, I, there are people whose whole lives have unfolded in an era where, Atlantic City was already old and forgotten. So it's it it is not surprising to me, but it is delightful that some of the stuff that I consider like sacred text, like the foundational stuff, is actually getting through to people. Drew, this is like I, I honestly like I don't wanna you know, I don't wanna pat us on the back, but it is kind of like the like your older brother, like well, okay, when we when we promote when we talk about Atlantic City. Movie geeks of our age either go, oh, yeah, I've heard of that, never saw it. Or they shake their head and go, yeah, I saw that 20 years ago. That's a good movie. Good call, guys. But, like, people who are 20, to them, Atlantic City is just a title. Oh, I know I know who Burt Lancaster is. Oh, I, I know who Susan Sarandon is. But it's just a title. Just like to you and I, when we were a kid, Stagecoach. It was just a title, and we didn't get the context of why it was any good until either your parent or your older brother or a school teacher or a film professor said, sit down and watch Stagecoach. It's not just a generic title from the past. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, if, uh, if we're turning younger people on to, you know, lesser known films from the 80s, I, that, that is very, that's very happy. Makes me very happy. Uh, I, I originally, the goal was kind of just to reach out to, you know, uh, movie geeks of our approximate era, but uh, I'm now realizing that it's infinitely more interesting to you know introduce younger people to these movies than it is to remind. Yeah. I know when I was like an early teenager and uh, sort of starting to develop my own tastes, one of the things that really helped was older fans who I met. I uh, I had a job, a volunteer job when I was 12, 13, right in that age age range, uh, where I did some. Uh, an apprentice program for NPR and for PBS. And they put you to work at the local stations just doing stuff, just so you were around the station could see how they worked. And at the NPR station, I met a guy, a tech guy there. And he was a huge science fiction fan and a huge movie nerd. And he really went out of his way to bring me videotapes, to bring me books, so that he could show me stuff that he knew that I would otherwise not get exposed to or didn't know at that point. And I remember how delighted he was when I would come back with a book and I'd be like, oh, my God. And he'd be like, right. And I think that's the feeling that I'm getting now from doing this podcast is people come back and they go, oh, my God. And you're like, right. It's the best. feeling, Right. Right. And, you know, 10 percent of it is, yay, I feel a little pride. I'm a film expert and I, I helped. And the other 90 percent is. I'm just glad that person saw and liked that movie. Well, that's why I don't because, shame people about what they yeah. haven't seen, because that's pointless. Instead, be excited about what they get to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's let's keep going. Uh, our our friend Derek eleven eleven one one, just simply Vernon, Florida. So there you go. Yeah, there's one for you. Uh, our friend Beware the Babs, Space Babs. 
Dead and Buried and Blowout, two movies I didn't even know existed before listening to 80s all over. Now they're two of my favorites. Thank you, Babs. Uh, M Michael Olson, Dark Night, I'm sorry, Dark Light Prods, Dark Light Prods. He said, you made me rewatch Popeye. It's better as an adult movie than a kid's movie. I was also I was also reminded of used cars. It's a bag of funsies. I will get to Blowout and Nighthawks. Nice. That's a good one. Yeah. I want to know how many people fall down laughing when they get to the end of Nighthawks, because it's one of the great crazy endings ever. Yeah. Uh, 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 Dominic Gregorich. Sorry if I mispronounced that, which I almost definitely did. I'm going to try it again. Dominic Gregorichik. Have that. Uh, Movie Land Dom, D-O-M. He said, Dragon Slayer used cars, and I am all the richer for seeing them, too. Yay. Dragon Slayer is... is I I recently was on... Uh, you know the uh, the TV trivia game show thing I've been doing, the Schmodown? Mm -hmm. So one of the questions was, what is the name of the dragon in Dragon Slayer? Yeah, Vermithak, pejorative. Dude, silence in the room. Half, How do you not know Half that? of them didn't even know what the movie was. And so... When I pull out Vermithrax pejorative, the look is what what mum, what kind of mumbo jumbo nonsense is that? I, it's one of the great movie design movie creature designs of all time. And so I again, if one or two people pick it up and see it and realize what it was, then great. But I'm baffled at the way that movie has fallen completely off the. Yeah, radar. And it's why when it when when it comes to movie knowledge, age beats beauty every time. Sorry, kids. You got to just absorb it. You got to be, you know, neck deep in movies for 30 some years and you can break that stuff out. But then when you're on a, a YouTube game show in 25 years and someone says, uh, name the dragon from uh, How to Train Your Dragon, you'll know it. And other people will be like, you know, but well, that one's kind of easy. But anyway, you get my point. Um, Fergal O'Brien, Fergal O.B., rewatched Blowout. Not that I need an excuse, but was inspired by your discussion. It's still great. Thank you, Fergal. Uh, we got uh, Paul Matowichuk. It's uh, Mile Bow. He says, Missing. The Criterion disc was sitting on my shelf for more than a year. Finally popped it in and was very impressed. That is the uh, Jack Lemon Costa Gravas uh, Missing. Uh, and that is a... Uh, it's weird that that film is not more well-remembered. It's You know what I mean? It's almost unfairly obscure. Well, I don't know what happened. I, Costa Gravis was such hot shit for a while, and was such a, and was considered like a seriously important part of the filmmaking landscape. And then after Music Box, it just that was pretty much it. And uh, and it is baffling. There was a guy with a ferocious voice. Uh, Raphael Matamayor, which is a geek with an afro, says. After having Airplane on my list for years, I finally watched because of you guys. Me and my family were in stitches the entire time. That makes me happy. Uh, I am so envious of anybody who is not seen. You know, you, like when, it, when you have like this entitlement as a movie geek of, oh my God, I can't believe you haven't seen Airplane. And then by the time you're like mid 30s or whatever, you kind of lose that chip on your shoulder and you're like, yeah, you know what? Lots of people haven't seen lots of movies. And instead of trying to be like, oh my God, I can't believe you haven't seen Airplane, you switch over to, damn, I wish I could see Airplane for the first time again. And and it goes from, dude, how could you have not seen that to, oh, I envy you. So, uh, you know, I'm glad your family had a ball with that, Raphael. Thank there you. There are films that I've specifically uh, never seen that are considered like big parts of the canon because I'm saving them for times where I really need that moment of discovery. 
And I think that's great. You, you can go your whole life and not see certain stuff. And there are plenty of movies you will never, ever see. God, uh, uh, let me run through a couple that uh, we'll, we'll just, I want I don't want to leave anybody out. So if they cover films we've already discussed, let's just run through them. Uh, Andy Rissler is uh, at Racine Jedi said, I watched used cars on the few, one of the few Kurt Russell movies that I hadn't seen yet. I, I think used cars drew is, might be our number one, like our number one. I saw it because of you guys movie, right? How many years? I, I mean, dude, how many years have we gone where you mention used cars and people just look at you like you're speaking Mandarin? Like what? And that's still too damn high. <laughs> it's too fucking high. He's I. It's the greatest, and I I am delighted. And if we do uh, six years of this podcast and 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 uh, get all these subscribers and and finish and do the final episode of December nineteen eighty nine. And then do the the 1989 recap. The ultimate point is, if we got a thousand people to watch used cars, I can die happy. <laughs> uh, if you have not seen used cars, do it. Stop listening to this, us stupid assholes and go watch this movie, Used Cars. Okay, uh, Pat. Oh, I'm sorry, I called you an asshole. Drew. I meant me. Uh, Pat R. A. Hamilton says, "Fear no evil." It was just wonderfully odd. Had no idea it existed before hearing about it on the show. Worth every minute. The Frank Lelogia film, Fear No Evil. There you go, Drew. Wow. See, and <laughs> this goes to my theory. Every movie is somebody's favorite movie. And so there's stuff that we'll mention Yeah, that, that we didn't like at all, but somebody's going to watch it and go, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, and I couldn't care less unless it's Beatlemania. I don't care <laughs> if you love a movie that Drew and I, I just don't. It's totally fine with us. Like, like who who would have a problem with it? Where you said, "Oh, you guys said that." Um, what's a movie we didn't? Oh, like John Derrick, even. Oh no, not yeah, John no. Derrick. There's no no. You can't justify that one now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, like the, the the point of this is to like you know share knowledge and and awareness about movies, not to have people um follow our opinions. <laughs> Uh, so I'm glad you like Fear No Evil, Patrick. I don't hate it. I think it's got some interesting stuff in it, and it, it is definitely weird. Um, Broken Murado, who is r at Rob Murado, says, Arthur and Ten, I ordered those Blu-rays because of your talk about Dudley Moore. Uh, cherish those, because we're about to hit some rough patch for Mr. Moore. But, yeah, uh, I'm glad. I'm really glad. I think Dudley is, uh, you know, again, he's one of those guys who had his moment. Uh, not last for terribly long. But there are some some things you've got to see because I think they were genuinely important. So, okay, we got um, Evan at Evan Faulkner Fresno Film Buff says simply Reds. Thank you, Evan. Uh, AJ, who is uh, Cinerama Llama, says Death Ship and After Hours. Please publish the movies discussed at each ratings. Hard to write down while driving. Well, we haven't covered After Hours yet, but boy, you must have like been able to see into the future. I can't 100% speak for Drew, but I think I speak for both of us when I say After Hours is freaking brilliant, and I, I I cannot wait to cover that in 85 and get 10, 12. I think that may have been when we were talking about American Werewolf. We may have mentioned that After Hours for us is like the Griffin Dunn movie. Oh, right, 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 right. Good, good, good. Okay, uh, Paul F. O'Regan says, I mostly only knew Treat Williams from Everwood. He was great in that, Prince of the City. Never, 
Never heard of it before the show. I also ordered the DVD of Long Good Friday. Nice. Wow. I, you know, and again, there's something. Treat Williams on Everwood as, as the dad on that show forever. I can see how somebody would watch that show and never go back and see his other work and and kind of be blown away when you finally do. I, you know. Still try to tie him down for an interview, but uh, he's a guy. Uh, I'm, uh, there's like two levels of friendship with like celebrities on Twitter. There's like the ones you say, hey, sir, can I do an interview? And they don't get back to you or sometimes they do. And then there's people like Leah Thompson, you're Nancy Allen. God bless her. You're Ellen Barkin, who's like, yeah, I'll do it. When do you want to do it? Let's go. You know, uh, so I we uh, let's just. Yeah, we have to tie down Treat Williams. I'd love to get him on an interview. Uh, our friend Art Hennessy says, my f- my wife and I watched Seems Like Old Times. Laughed out loud many times. Great recommendation, guys. Seems Like Old Times. Makes me happy. That That's just a pleasant, yep, a very warm bath of charming, funny. It's got dogs. It's got Goldie Hawn. It's got Charles Grodin, Chevy Chase. It's wonderful. Uh, Neil Simon. Um, okay, uh, Ash Corpse, Ash C-O-R-P-S, says, Blowout, wasn't aware of it, but you sold it. Scanners, because I've been meaning to see it for decades, and you pushed me over the edge. I, I'm amazed that people have, like, I don't mean this in a nasty way, but I'm surprised when I hear people have not heard of Blowout. That surprises me, and, and makes me happy that we're shining a light on it. So, thank you, sir. Drew, anything about Scanners? Is that, uh... Look, I, I mean, I, it's not my favorite Cronenberg film, but it is the perfect introduction to yes, it. Yes, and is, I think yeah. that that's what that's what it was for me. And certainly, I think if you like that one, holy cow, dude, you have so much stuff now that you get to go enjoy. I would say almost definitely, Scanners was my first Cronenberg, and then it was probably after that the Brood, Videodrome, sh- yeah, Shivers. Uh, but yeah, Scanners was probably his most accessible mainstream call it what you will okay uh where we got here uh evil david mr proenza says blowout don't know how i missed it but made an effort to seek it out and that ending oh man uh at j ross 91 says prince of the city period um brian scuttle aka scuttle oh my god scuttle lemur scuttle lemur got it Scuttle Lemur. He's a nice guy, Brian. Finally watched American Werewolf in London. It was already on my radar, but I hunted it out this October because of 80s all over. Oh. Wow, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, nice. You've got, nice. Like, you've got a stranger to watch American Werewolf in London, Drew. <laughs> uh, yep. The Punisher is uh, at KB Decker. Says used cars. Thank you, punster. You know, one of the things that I've noticed about a lot of the films that we like that people are getting turned on to here, because uh, somebody mentioned the ending of Blowout, a lot of these are movies and, and where endings in particular are super important and how you hit that last note. And uh, there are movies throughout this decade that we're going to get to where the ending is one of the things that really sticks with you. I can't wait to get to Birdie, for example. Oh, I love it. One of my favorite Alan Parker movies. Um, uh, we're almost done, but we probably want to do this episode again in the future because this really is, uh, what the show is all about. So maybe in, uh, you know, another 12, 14 episodes, we're going to do this again because I really like this. Uh, Brad Backhouse, who is Brad at Brad B Geek says, Heaven's Gate. I certainly understand the criticism, but it is a beautiful movie to look at. Dude, you gotta, you've got to tackle Heaven's Gate at some point. It is not only a 
significant film from Chimino, but it is the end of the auteur in Hollywood. That was the moment where afterwards everybody said, all right, get all the coke off the desks. Let's actually start figuring out how we're not going to go bankrupt again. Plus there are these, there's a, there are these watershed or, or infamous or landmark films that if you want to be in the discussion, if you want to be able to discuss like, like Drew said, the end of the auteur theory or the, how the studio system changed from the seventies to the eighties, or, you know, why directors are not generally given as much free reign as they are anymore. You have to know what happened on Heaven's Gate, and in order to know what happened on Heaven's Gate, it would make sense to at least seen it once. So, uh, and and then it's also important to have your own opinion. Everybody and their mother could say, "Oh my God, Heaven's Gate was a debacle. It lost so much money. Critics trashed it, and da 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 da." But you might watch it and be tr- really moved by it. So, well, it also um, I would say that if and this goes to a conversation we were having last night and this morning on Twitter, but. I would also say, if you want to truly understand why that moment matters, also pick up Stephen Bach's terrific book, Final Cut, which is about the making of Heaven's Gate and the unmaking of United Artists. Um, It is one of those essential film books, uh, whether it's that or Indecent Exposure or there's several that I think had unbelievable access to filmmaking. And these days, nobody writes those books. After Julie Solomon's Devil's Candy, no one's ever going to let an embedded reporter have their own opinion about what they watch and write about again. Right. We got next from uh, at Kurt Pankow, somewhere in time. Didn't immediately love it, but it really got under my skin, and I'm glad I watched it. Thank you, Kurt. Uh, Montana Hannibal says... The Ninth Configuration. I knew Junk Food Cinema did an episode, but didn't watch it until after listening to your episode. Uh, you know what? Listen to the guys at Junk Food Cinema. They know what they're talking about, and we'll we'll sweep up around the rest. If they recommend something, you dig it up. And if they don't get to it and it's in the 80s, we will eventually. So, yeah, Ninth Configuration is not a film that I love, but it's definitely interesting. <laughs> oh, man. It's just to watch those actors all, all swinging as big as they do, it's worth it. Yeah, we got... Uh, uh, there are too many. You got a list somewhere. Says TBW Bex. <laughs> uh, at Corliss says used cars. Oh right, context. It's just fun. It has a kind of a manic energy that builds and builds up to the final wacky races bit. And then uh, our friend Aaron Roberts at Aaron C U N E says hopscotch. Walter Matthau is in prime form. Glenda Jackson is delightful, and Ned Beatty plays exasperated. To perfection. <laughs> um, the other thing that surprised me about used cars is that, considering how big Zemeckis is, that this didn't already have a life of its own, that, that it hadn't been rediscovered. Because if you love Back to the Future, dude, of course you're going to love used cars. It's built by the same brains, and it's got the same kind of wonderful setups and payoffs, and the script is that same kind of, oh my god, I can't believe how all these things drop into place over the course of it. It's so clearly Zemeckis and Gale working at their peak that I'm I it's I'm glad people are finding it, but it just still baffles me that it's taken us poking somebody to go see it. Yeah, I believe that we got to all of the uh, first wave of responses. Uh, if we didn't get to yours yet, I would like to apologize. We are have to gonna stop right there, but in a few months we are going to go back and get all the others before we uh, before we re- request any new user reviews we will go back and get to yours so if you if yours was not covered in this episode it will be in the future and uh thank you so much for contributing we uh sometimes we yeah we sometimes uh we have some good idea we have lots of good ideas for bonus episodes but sometimes we're just scratching our head for a new idea and this is a 
this is a, a simple one, and it also we're happy to uh, incorporate our listeners and get throw out them some plugs and some love for them. Um, and you know what? Maybe in the future we'll get one of those voicemail things where you can uh, call in and tell us your favorite recommendation or give us a user review of a movie uh, without us having to mangle your name and whatnot. Or, or just send love letters to Scott. Yeah. Yeah, we could do that. Uh, and we will be back next week with a regular episode. I will not ask you to subscribe to our Patreon page because you already are subscribers, dummy. But what we will ask you to do is spread the word. Go on Twitter. Go on Facebook. You know what? Spray paint it on your local elementary school wall. We accept no responsibility for your behavior. <laughs> Until next time, loyal listeners. Loyal listeners.